0: When I was in grad school, a professor who I respect so much was talking about the temporal versus the eternity, and he was sharing about how if you don't receive the desires of your heart in this temporal world, you haven't lost anything, basically. The example that he used was regarding marriage. He mentioned that there were some of us in the room who were single, one of which was me, and so... Share that if you don't find your soulmate and then you die and uh, you are in eternity with Christ, you haven't lost anything. I think it's true, and I think it was a beautiful sentiment. And I will also say that I remember sitting in that seat thinking, it's really funny hearing that from a married person. Welcome back to Tesserai, where we explore the integrated Christian walk in light of the ways it has been
1: dismantled. Well, it's been a stretch, hasn't it? I don't know about you, but the holidays, as great as they were, really messed up my routines and rhythms. So I'm kind of glad to be back here on the recording track with you, Steve. This has uh, been something that I've always enjoyed, and I'm glad to uh, get back into it. Part of the busyness for me, at least, was due to the strange, you know, normal but strange demands of pastoral ministry. Um, for example, two weeks ago, I had a funeral, and then with kind of whiplash, I did a wedding this past weekend. I went from helping a family process through some incredible, unfathomable grief to helping two individuals become a new family. It was kind of a wild swing, like so much of ministry. Now, Here's the thing, Steve with weddings, I'm not a huge fan of weddings. I don't love them. I've participated in more than my share of weddings over the years, mostly on the work end of things. We uh, my wife and I used to shoot weddings uh, on the side as a pastor. I've done lots of weddings. Um, and so weddings are a lot of work. but I've also watched enough marriages fall apart over the years that I've got a certain level of sobriety uh, about the celebration. And don't get me wrong. I'm thrilled for those who are entering into good marriages, especially people that I've been working with and walked with, and and I know that they're in a healthy place. But marriage is tough. It is hard work. And incidentally, it's what we're talking about today. So on this episode, we're going to be talking about marriage and singleness, why both are beautiful, why both can be terrible, and why Christians need to think very carefully about each. And for the purposes
0: of this episode, when... At least I speak of singleness. I'm talking kind of broadly. I'm talking about somebody who isn't married, so they could be dating, recording. um, Maybe they have nobody on the horizon. Maybe they're looking. uh, Maybe they're talking. Maybe they're not looking. Maybe they're single by choice or conviction or just haven't met the one. Basically, if you haven't said I do or aren't currently married, there is a sense in which you are still single. So I'm kind of keeping that label kind of broadly. And bro, we've both been single, but I haven't been married. So I can't wait to hear your perspective <laughs> on, this, on this topic as a whole. I, I suspect we're seeing some of the same things in the church on this topic, even if through different lenses. So I, I can't wait to jump in. Um, I will say I'm still a big fan of weddings. Uh, and if you attend a Christian, predominantly white institution, like I did for much of my college career, you are going to attend a lot of marriages, a lot of weddings. Uh, it's just, it's just the kind of rolls with it, it comes true. with the territory. I think there's a beauty in the Genesis of the beginning of things, you know, and a community getting behind a couple's commitment to one another is, is societally dope to me. Uh, so I, I enjoy those a lot. And for as many relationships as we have, as many romantic relationships as we have, I think we could use more marriages, um, I also think there's something in the air at weddings for single people (laughs) that's probably not as much there for married folks. People are (laughs) there. They're looking good, whether they're in the wedding party or they're attending. You don't know who's going to be there. And apart from celebrating the couple, which is, of course, the main reason why we're there, one might even meet someone themselves. I so weddings, I mean. <laughs> it's an interesting <laughs> element <laughs> that's just, it's just not in the cards for you, you know? So yeah, that's true. that being said, I've also witnessed some marriages struggle mightily and in some cases end, which is devastating to see. Mm-hmm. And I suspect in, and know it has to be even harder to live. Um, so before we, But before we get into that, before we go too deep into our own experiences even, uh, talk to me broadly about marriage. Take that wherever you want to go.
1: well as the resident expert on marriage no i i don't you know i mean it it is weird to talk about marriage in a podcast because there's uh there are literally hundreds of books that have been written on (laughs) marriage there are conferences and seminars and um (laughs) the marriage counselors and everything we it's not really something you can cover in a a short little podcast the the first Mm -hmm. premarital counseling i ever did um was actually with, um, the, the guy I work with at village. Um, he and his wife were getting married and and we had been married for something like maybe a year, maybe less. <laughs> and, and we sat down with them and did premarital counseling. And it was kind of a joke because we were also like, you know, <clears throat> very aware of how young, uh, we were, but hmm. there's a sense in which, Anytime we talk about marriage, we're talking about it in broad strokes. And yes, you, you do learn and you do grow, but like it, it, it is such a big, such a big issue. And nobody really has the corner on it. Nobody has the market on it, but there are some things that we can, we can definitely talk about. I think the first thing that is really important for us to understand is that marriage is, is really a good labor. It's a good work. And I use that intentionally because our, our, culture, at least the culture that sees marriage as a desirable thing, uh, tends to see marriage as the culmination of what Tim Keller calls the apocalyptic romance. This Uh idea that if I just find the one and I uh, can marry that person, then I will be complete. There's almost this eschatological fulfillment to my life. Uh, And they lived happily ever after. But the and reality you're saying that's is that's not true. Unfortunately, Steve, I hate to break oh, it to no. you, it's not. No. I know. You need to okay. get your marriage advice not from Disney <laughs> movies. So, the the, um, the this idea that marriage is um, the end all is surprisingly common <laughs> and is uh, totally wrong because marriage is a ton of work. One of the books that we have, all of our uh, folks that Becky and I work with for premarital counseling is Tim Keller's Meaning of Marriage, which is an excellent, uh, excellent work. Highly recommended to anybody who's um, wanting to understand more about marriage or wanting to grow in their own marriage. But <clears throat> it's funny because sometimes people will have this response after reading the first few chapters. It's like, well, he's kind of painting a depressing view <laughs> of marriage hmm. as just being hard work and a lot of marriages fail. And it's like, well... Yeah, that's the point. Actually, we want you to have a certain sobriety about it. We want you to have a certain weight about this relationship. Because really, ultimately, marriage is a lot about dying to yourself, Um, learning to love the other person in a covenantal way, a way that seeks their good above your own, a way that seeks to beautify the other person. And that means a lot of dying to me, a lot of taking Mm. up my cross and dying. And in fact, if you go to that amazing passage in um and controversial passage in uh, ephesians 5 um it's really about dying to yourself on both ends right wives submit to your husbands husbands love your wives as christ loved the church which of course paul goes on to remind us that jesus loved the church by dying for her and so both parties are called to this deep sacrifice of themselves for the other person, a true, a seeking of the true good of the other person at our own expense of our own desires and our own wants. So marriage is, is really this, it's this beautiful thing. It's this relationship that you have, this opportunity in covenant to seek um, uh, to, to make the other person um, their better self. It's a partnership. Uh, it, it's a friendship. It can, it can be fantastic, but it's also this um uh, deeply costly endeavor um that when done well is absolutely worth the cost. But if but when you go into it too lightly um I think a lot of people uh run into trouble because they they, they don't know what they're getting into and then they get really frustrated really quick. All right. So I just sort of unloaded a whole bunch of stuff there. Like I mean what what are some of your thoughts from where you sit, Steve, in terms of uh, in terms of marriage and uh, its role in the church?
0: Yeah, I mean, following in that in that same vein of what marriage is supposed to be like, how you take your cue from it. Like we're trying to, albeit poorly, but we're we are imitating uh, this ideal understanding of what marriage is supposed to be—Christ in the church—and you're like, that's that's a big deal. The stakes really seem high at that. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to model that. Right. Yes. Um, And so that comes with, that comes with a lot of heaviness to it, I think. Uh, And so in the church, that's part of why we get so excited for our marriages is that someone has elected to step into this holy calling into this holy thing um, and, and die to one another. And there's something so romantic about that too, you know, even outside of the church, that's just Mm -hmm. like, what what better love is like sacrificial ones you know hollywood is hollywood and countless books have picked up on that for years it's like oh man usually in like a he died for her kind of way uh, mm-hmm. but uh, you will do anything for this person that you like literally love more than your own soul more than anything you could want for yourself you want them to be well to be you know to be whole to be safe whatever so in, the, in that way, it's it's so beautiful that it has probably just ascended in so many in so many of our minds and hearts. It's ascended as this like thing that it's supposed to be, and it's probably descended like just as quickly because we see so many failed marriages, or we or we experience failed marriage, whether our own or those of our parents or those in our family. And so we're like, man, it's not worth it. Or this pain is too great. Um, but it has this. I think before getting to all the hard, as you were talking, it does kind of strike me it's kind of beautiful. I think there's always beauty in contradictions. And so this kind of natural and unnatural, you know, like mm-hmm. to come and die, the invitation to, <laughs> to come and to die, which is this Christian invitation is yeah. very unnatural, right? Because we, by nature, we, we preserve, we self-preserve. Um, you know, like we feel something hot on our hands. You don't really have to teach someone to like pull their hand away from pain you know, um, assuming that like all of their nerves and all that they can feel everything. Like if somebody if you somebody burns their hand, they're going to pull their hand away. We generally try to stay away from pain and try to live and preserve ourselves. So to willingly enter into an institution, into something, into a relationship with someone that says, I am going to now die, has an unnatural element to it. But it also has a very natural element to it into, um, uh, I think, maybe we'll get into a little bit more when I talk to when we engage with singleness a little bit more is the desire to the the sort of longing that we have, you know, the longing that we have to be in connection with others and to have intimate connections um, both emotionally and spiritually and physically with other people or Mm -hmm. with another person. Mm -hmm. And so it has this sort of unnatural natural aspect to it that, that I think can be very beautiful. And that can be really confusing as somebody who's on the outside of marriage, you know, um, yeah. so as somebody who's very pro marriage in, in 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 the sense of, um, seeing the beauty that it can be, I wouldn't say that I'm, I'm, I have rose colored glasses when it comes to marriage. Um, I think that as we mentioned at the top, like we both have experienced, uh, seeing like marriages fail or go through really a lot of difficulties mm-hmm. where I'm sitting, where I'm like, I, I, I'm interested in stepping into that space. Not because I have this idealized view of it anymore, um, but because of, uh just one, uh, an acceptance of the connection and the calling that comes with it so i think it can be really really beautiful and i'm the product of a marriage that is uh now just over 40 years my parents oh, celebrated That's 40 amazing. year yeah uh, um and just a, just a few weeks back uh, so congratulations to pastor and mama car right um 40 <laughs> years uh, but that's huge. I'm like, I, I I said that to them on the day of their ceremony. I'm like, I haven't done anything for 40 years. Um, neither of you, Bob. So <laughs> It's true. <laughs> so that's, you know, that's a big deal. So that kind they of commitment speak, man. has a, uh, has a, has a beauty to it.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and you're absolutely right. And I, I want to be clear um, that marriage is beautiful and what you've described is absolutely true it's admirable it's worth pursuing it is a good um and i i i take seriously i i don't know if genesis 2 was talking so much about um marriage in the individual sense as much as a general creaturely sense i mm-hmm. like you know it's not good for man to be alone i i don't right. think that it necessarily means that an unmarried person is not good. Like, I, I, I don't think that's what God was saying. I think he's saying like man needed woman, which means that women are critical to the goodness of creation and so on and so forth. But the point is, is that like um, Moses bakes into the, the the telling of the creation story that a man will leave his mother and father and cling to his wife. And like there, there is a goodness, a creation good about that, mm-hmm. that we want to absolutely acknowledge, and then as I think you pointed out, Paul says that it's an image of Christ and the church. So it's this mystery that we absolutely should treasure and seek. And I wouldn't trade my marriage for the world. I love my wife, Becky is fantastic, and I love our relationship. We have such a good relationship. Um, so I, but I, I do tend to open with like, okay, but here's all the hard stuff because just, yeah. you know I'm like, don't, don't step into this without knowing what you're getting into. Because if you're not prepared mm-hmm. to steward this treasure, my goodness, just stay away from it. You're not, you don't, there's the, the, the potential for pain is so much if you treat it lightly. And, and really when you, we're all inherently selfish, right? And so if, if we're not prepared to, Die to ourselves to love somebody sacrificially. Um, we, we've all seen this, right? We've all seen marriages turn into um, these legally binding relationships that are locked into self-indulgent hostility. We've we've all seen um, relationships that have these toxic cycles of abuse or of neglect. Um, we've we've seen marriages that are formalities only, you know, just in it for the kids, mm-hmm. and there is no actual relationship um, between, um, the, the husband and wife. And, and those are tragedies. So as we think about marriage, we need, we really need the full weight of it, both the glory and the, the sober realization of, of what we're dealing with. Yeah. I, so, I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree so, more. And I I was going to say, I think,
0: uh, there's also a little bit of a, like everybody's made mistakes that they feel like themselves, you know, they're, they're like, ah, I wish I had done that better. And so now I'm kind of like paying the price for that. I think there's a, an idea from a single perspective, or can be like, I can do, I, basically, I can do bad all by myself, like, if I don't want to necessarily get someone else's heart or life on the line, if I'm not ready yeah. to step into that, you know, so because now it comes with and I haven't I felt this from a married perspective, but definitely in like, OK, I like somebody and somebody likes me. And so we're kind of talking in that negotiating phase, if you will. And you're kind of trying to figure out the other person. And you realize that as you get closer, you have the potential to be hurt, um, to be you're, you're more vulnerable the closer that mm-hmm. you get. And so you you have the potential to to hurt that person. That person has the potential to, to hurt you. And so you obviously, it's ideal to want to, if you're going to commit to someone, do it within the confines of marriage so that at least you like, you know, unfortunately, you, you do hurt those closest to you but like at least you're being hurt by someone and hurting someone who's like, they're, you're still committed to one another. So, you know, I I feel like the beauty of that, but I also like sometimes feel the, the hesitation, um, Mm -hmm. that is shared from uh, other, maybe other like friends or stuff that, that haven't haven't gotten married or don't really have that desire to, because it's like, I, I'm not ready to step into that. And maybe they're not. Um, sometimes it's just a phobia that needs to, they need to step into anyway. Um, but other times, I think it is like you have somebody else on the line now. It's not just yourself, and I'm sure, of course, that grows even more once you have children, um, if you, you know, if you have children. And so, uh, I, I think that's that's a piece that at least needs to be at least needs to be discussed. I don't think it it's, it it should be a a reason why you wouldn't get married. Um, but when trying to think about marriage, it is like it's it should be making you more selfless. You know, I think that was. Probably the primary thing I heard about marriage, as especially as, like, a uh, kind of growing up as a guy and and hearing more about marriage probably from my dad than I than I would hear about it from my mom, maybe. And so you're talking about, mm-hmm. like, what a man needs and how a man needs to do this. And so um, there is this just self-sacrificing aspect to stepping into marriage. Like, yes, there's mm-hmm. going to be all these beautiful, good things. But, like, get ready to die, you know? <laughs> and, um, and, and die daily. Die. Yep. Yeah. So... Yeah. So it's, it's
1: interesting in First Corinthians seven, Paul talks about, you know, I wish that all were like me, but, mm-hmm. um, but then he says each one has a gift, and and it seems to me that he's referring to both marriage and singleness, right? That marriage is a gift, singleness is a gift. We often hone in on the singleness as a gift piece as sort of this like, um, we're going to talk about in a second, um, but but almost like well, you know, some people are just called to be single, and so maybe you know consolation prize. But I think really um, both are true. That both require divine sustenance and power mm-hmm. <laughs> to do, mm-hmm. and um, without without God at the center empowering us, then like we're toast, no matter where we are in life. But let's let's use that to pivot because we also want to talk about about singleness, right? And um, evangelical subculture tends to wait really heavy on marriage. Like that's what you do. You just get married. So let's talk about the other side, Steve. What, um, what do we need to know about singleness and how, how maybe are we, are we thinking about it? Well, not well. Yeah.
0: I mean, I I think you hit on the head, uh, when you, when you kind of refer to it as a gift coming out of first Corinthians seven, I think I think of it similarly. Uh, and, that's just not the norm as much. Um, And talking about marriage as an institution uh, in the church, in in society, and as we've been at the start of this podcast, we see it as this holy thing, a good thing. Um, Has that emphasis unknowingly, maybe unintentionally at times, disfigured our outlook on singleness? And I wouldn't be asking if I thought that the answer to that question was no. Mm. So how should we look at being single? It must be more than this... It has singleness has to be more than this, like unfortunate uh, foray or hallway or sketchy waiting room that we sit in while we wait to say I do. Um, mm-hmm. It has to <laughs> there has to be more going on, mm-hmm. more going on than that. And so I, I think seeing it as as a gift um, that uh, that we as individuals have been given, I think, within the church, but also that the church collectively has been given because of the different uh, the different abilities that the married and the single both bring. I think is is beautiful, um, and so th- there's there's so many thoughts I think that I have there. I think,
1: yeah. Can you unpack that for me a little bit? Like the the difference. You, so you said it's like a individual gift, like for the for the individual, but also a gift for the church. Talk about the distinction for me, for mm, a minute. Okay,
0: yeah. So I, I'm thinking like I, I, I mean, we we've, we've probably talked about here on, on this podcast enough, like the balance of the of the collective and the individual. But when I think about it, for me, I've learned so much in my life from being in a a, a state of singleness. I've mm. learned about myself. I've learned about um, I've learned about others and how I wish to treat them and how I wish to be treated in mm. platonic and non-platonic settings. Um, I have uh, I have grown closer to God by learning not to. Um, like, how do I want to step into this potential relationship, you know, or how do, how do I, I want to talk to this person or this person might be interested in me? How, how, just answering those early, early questions, it's easy to just make it about yourself. But I feel like over, over the years of um, trying to figure things out and understand this in, in this, in this season has felt like very sanctifying, you know, it's felt like, okay, I, I have room here. I even have like time in a unique way, whereas I was talking about, I'm not necessarily Uh, I'm not going to hurt somebody else in that this is for my own development, but I feel like I'm growing closer to the Lord. I don't have these other impediments at times, or uh, I have have a certain amount of time that I'm available um, or I just feel like it's been beneficial for me. I think it's been a part of, and of course, if I had gotten married in my, you know, say early twenties, then I would have been formed by that in unique ways. I don't know in what ways I'd be similar or different, but I I think that has an individual piece. And then as a gift to the church, I think that there, there are practical and, and, and spiritual ways in which singles step into uh, supporting the church. You know, it helps the church sort of remember not to glorify marriage, that this person that's in front of you, they are not just a candidate for your singles ministry. They're not just supposed to be doing all of the cleanup or the setup before and after service for a church event because they don't have kids or a husband or wife waiting at home. Um, they are, they are, they are more than that. And I've definitely felt that. And I, and I know, I know for a fact, I know that, um, that there are other single Christians who have felt that where it's like, well, of course I'm being asked to do this in the church because, you know, they're not going to ask, they're not going to ask this person who has to get home to their spouse or has to get home to their kids. And there's a practical aspect to that. That makes sense. You know, and I'd be like, okay, I'm down. Like uh, I'll I'll roll with it, but there has to be more that's, and if we don't see it as more then it, it again, contributes to that that what, that unfortunate state that you're waiting in. Like, Hey, yeah, we're asking you to be here late or we're asking you to get here early, but don't worry when you get married, you won't have to do it anymore. You're like,
1: well,
0: <laughs> that's be more than that. So I, that's what I mean. Like practically even a gift to the church. Yeah. So, it, it, and then spiritually it helps it. It's good. It helps the church see it better. It's yeah. good. Okay. So to drive home like this, this point about how the church needs both and how you, you, you need this balance set here, uh, there's this book that I've um, read excerpts from that I got from a, a coworker a few years ago here at the college um, by Lisa Graham-McKinn. And her book is called Sexuality and Holy Longing, Embracing Intimacy in a Broken World. And there are so many good, so many good pieces that uh, really encouraged me when I first was kind of like poking around in here. Um, but in trying to understand like what both parties kind of bring in a way, uh, there's an excerpt that I wanted to read Um, And it's in her third chapter called Sleeping Alone on Sexuality and Singleness. Um, And she writes, on the one hand, God's love as depicted in marriage shows an exclusive love of a husband and wife, the beauty of difference and similarity coming together in one flesh. Faithfulness and the welcoming and nurturing of children born of their parents' sexual union teach us about God as lover and life giver. On the other hand, singles reflect the inclusive love of God, a love for everyone. Married people cannot reflect God's inclusive and open love as fully. God's love is at once exclusive, we are commanded to worship no other gods, and inclusive, God loves and wills that all would be saved. In the freedom singles have to love others freely and openly, they reflect their expansive universal love of God. They reflect a God who is unencumbered and free in expressions of love that can be given to all without a sense of of betrayal or infidelity. End quote. Hmm. That was that was really big for me and kind of starting to visualize uh contributions to the church and and to our hmm. fellow brother and sister as uh this like loving loving um loving wide and being able to love deep, you know, I have some amazing friendships uh and hmm. brotherhoods and sisterhoods that I'm like this person's a lifer, you know, whatever we go through, this person will always be around. So I have depth for sure. But like, it is true that there is a, a depth that I can't experience with somebody outside, like outside of marriage, you know, that somebody within a marriage, I think can can explore can understand um, yeah. both mentally, emotionally, physically, all of those things. So you need both, you know, if we only had like, if we pretty much only had married couples, like we would have people left really out on the wayside. Um, and then uh, same goes, if you were going the opposite, you'd be like, well, I just don't feel like you're getting to the core of who I am, or you're really getting to know me or caring for me in a different way because you have so many relationships. So that balance is of needing both. Um, I've seen, and this book kind of helped drive that home. And I remember the first time I really felt it was in college. We had this crew, uh, this basketball crew, um shout out to team hallelujah and we used to we used to play from like 10 p.m to like 12 or 1 a.m sometimes security would kind of you know look the other way while we'd be playing or they'd like say you know like lock up when you get done um nice. i won't name any names uh so we would be in there we'd be hooping and we'd see each other during the day and we'd be like yo are we hooping? we hooping? we doing this and we'd get together and we'd hoop and uh a friend of ours who used to like come sometimes he wasn't as regular but he w- and then uh, he wouldn't come as often and then he got married. And we used to joke, we were joking, like leading up to the marriage, like, bro, your life's about to change. Like, we're excited for him. You know, we're, we're talking him up and stuff. And, you know, we're gonna miss you at basketball, all this kind of stuff. We, he, he, he tied the knot. I literally never played ball with him again. Yeah. Like, <laughs> literally, I he's, he's my brother. I love him to death. But like, that part of that that sort of randomness and not belonging to somebody, it just changes, you know? And so (laughs) I remember being like, dang, man, like, they got him. He's out the game, you know, (laughs) literally. But, um, you know, he's not going to trade it. He's got a beautiful marriage. They got beautiful kids now. Um, You know, there's not something that you trade, but you you realize it's just, it's different now, you know, so it's those seasonal differences and you need both though. Yeah,
1: it's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. So, you know, I, I think like marriage, thinking about it in terms of ideals, when in reality, the practical on the ground reality is a bit more costly and, and, and like hard. Um, so with singleness too, right? Like we're talking about, um, singleness as, as a gift, we're talking about this deep and wide love that you're talking about that has the opportunity to, um, uh, really breathe a, a beautiful kind of life into the church. But there's also often <laughs> um, a deep longing that is unfulfilled. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know that the church always has a structurally, I don't know that we have a great place for single people. And I, I'm speaking broadly in terms of like American evangelicalism. Um, but even in, in in the church that I pastor, I think this is a struggle for us sometimes, like we don't know what to do with single people. Um, Mm -hmm. We have um, uh, uh, yeah, it's like the the programs and everything are kind of built around families with kids and all of that. So how do you know, how how do we cultivate a church that's not just like a singles church, (laughs) full of, you Mm -hmm. know, 22 year olds, but how do we cultivate a church context where singleness is not just tolerated or even valued, but is leveraged in a in a beautiful way that like you're a part of the body, I'm a part of the body. We each have our unique contributions, and it becomes this dynamic, vibrant reality. Mm-hmm. That, that also helps to alleviate the um, the deep longing for companionship and for friendship, or not alleviate that's that <clears throat> that that meets the need for community that I think the church is supposed to provide? How, how do we cultivate that in the local church? Hmm. That's a great question.
0: Uh, I, I think, just as I haven't thought about this, but just as you're asking it, I'm like, one of the things that comes to mind is depending, of course, where your church is, there are some churches that, you know, the demographic is very young and some are very old, so I don't want to make too generalizing of a statement. But there is in some sense, there's a reason why I think churches that have a lot of young people uh, resemble concerts, resemble like energy or it resemble like, you know, concerts full of energy and stuff. And, uh, and they're seen as so groundbreaking, like, oh, we got the kids to come to church, you know, um, (laughs) the young twenties, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, because, uh, church in some context isn't, is an old man and woman's game, you know, like there, there are some who like, they lived their life. They in a way kind of like sold their wild oats already. And so now they're like, they want their kids to maybe grow up like they did or grow up differently than they did. And they are, you know, evangel doesn't mean evangelism and missions work is not a, even a part. Of, they don't want to see the church grow. I don't mean that in any sense. But uh, but like they are also are in a rhythm now, you know, like, OK, maybe I got my traveling out of the way. Maybe I got my past relationships out of the way. Now I'm settled down. I'm committed. I'm in a routine. I know my way mm-hmm. to church. I'm doing this now. And um, I think the within the call of like spreading the gospel and getting to know people from different contexts and different ages, this sort of mixing uh, that needs to happen because there's so much that young can learn from people who have walked similar paths already being older. There is also a lot, I would say that, that, uh, the, the seasoned, as I call them, not the old, <laughs> the seasoned can <laughs> learn from young people, you know, mm-hmm. because sometimes there's, I just remember feeling frustration sometimes when people would be like, I'd express an opinion. And this isn't even in the context of relationships or singleness It's just like in life. I might communicate an opinion or a frustration, and one of the first things that somebody might say was, was probably they didn't, if they didn't display really good listening, they just might be like, oh yeah, I've been there or I experienced this. It might be encouraging to hear that they've been there, but also we might've lived very different lives and uh, your perspective is very different from mine, you know? Mm-hmm. And so sometimes you're like, wow, I, I never thought about that when I was your age or um, or not even just always trying to do the intergenerational thing, but just literally to be in community. I know as you get older, as or when you encounter someone younger, you know, you're thinking about and worried about different things often. And that is definitely a generational gap that can exist. But I think working to try to mix, maybe that can be grouped sometimes, but working to really like mixing communities and having people over for meals and, and getting to know people who are single and married younger and seasoned is, is a a great way to try to, um, to show the value of both and, then you start getting exposed to different things. You'd be like, oh, I had presuppositions about what it meant for somebody to still be single in their 30s. You know, I don't think anybody has a problem with anybody who's young and in their, you know, early 20s. Um, you know, it's like, hey, you met anybody yet? And so at, at this stage in my life, it's still a lot of the same questions. It doesn't really bother me. But like, I definitely, I will say this, I definitely, um, I definitely value, I can, I can live with it, but I I'm not a huge fan of like the third wheel who is the third will like sort of <laughs> dynamic that can exist. Right. And there are couples that sometimes just unknowingly like pull you into that. Now, they don't mean that they don't mean to do that at all. They care about you. They want to like welcome you, but sometimes they're just like, they're living as one functionally. And so when you come around, you're like, you don't have someone who's also one with you. So, <laughs> so it becomes a little bit like, okay, this is three's a crowd, or this would be a party even if I wasn't here. So I think y'all are good. Um, And so I cherish very much the older and the younger couples, um, especially like married ones who are able to coexist well with those who are single and not see as like this almost like second-class citizen or somebody just, again, waiting to get out of the waiting room.
1: Well, and on the other side of it, I think that mingling that mixing generationally or in terms of marital status is so important. Um, And something I really appreciate I appreciated about you getting to know you, um, early on is that you seem genuinely interested in my and Becky's lives, which sounds maybe kind of weird, but like, um, and maybe this is more because of our, our role in ministry where you're kind of like, you're giving out, you're trying to like make other people feel welcome. I, I don't know. But, um, you were like, tell me about marriage. And we're like, oh, Um, you know, and it, (laughs) it it was this like valuing of, of who we, of where we were. And that just felt very, uh, rare, but I really appreciated it. And it, it opened up, um, I think a mutuality that, um, could have been kind of hindered otherwise. So I, I think there's, there's really also something valuable in, in single folks, like choosing to enter into some of those relationships. And then of course, obviously, like married folks have to actually open their lives up to be not create these awkward situations of being third wheels and all that. Um, but when when both parties are seeking each other, it can really create this, I think, beautiful um, uh, kind of, yeah, intermixing in of, of experiences that can can be really helpful.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. And there's, there's a lot of life happening. So I love to get there. But like, that wasn't like the the genesis of our like getting to know one another, right? So we, we knew each other a little bit. And then, you know, kind of, you know, we're talking a little bit, we meet up periodically, and then you guys invited me over for dinner. And then so I'm just like living life with y'all, you know, and so there was never like a third wheel feeling. So, and, and I think it so then practically, I knew I, after talking with and getting to know you guys a bit more, I knew that I wanted to ask because you guys were also in, a, in an interesting space where, like I just mentioned, um, my parents have been married for 40 years now. Um, I don't have as many examples of like peers and friends who were like, uh, maybe just have like a few years on me, but have been married for a time. And so that's a different season of marriage, having young kids versus like, you know, my parents who I get so much advice, life and guidance and ministry and love from, um, but all of us are grown. You know, and so having this different perspective in somebody, but not feeling like, hey, I'm single. So I need your advice in order to function. I never felt like that.
1: So, yeah. Also, I, I, I dear listener, was, I want you great. to notice that Steve just acknowledged that my wife and I are much older than him. Much older. <laughs> I thought I said a little. Someone well, with <laughs> your range of experience in life. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you guys have clearly been through so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, you, I mean, come on man you you've seen the 10 commandments right you you do have a beard that suggests that someone came from the burning bush look like when Moses' appearance was changed so let's come on let's be fair
1: <laughs> oh my gosh so you know both are critical um i think marriage has obviously very profound um significance it's a beautiful thing that god made um it's a good to be desired there's um even social benefits to marriage not just tax breaks but like you know uh it's it's worth pursuing it's it's a it's a good to pursue it there's um the beauty of having of a a partner um there's a very like no one should ever get married for sex that's that's a terrible reason to get married but like you know Mm -hmm. paul makes it clear that like if you legit don't have self-control. Like, Hey, you need to deal with that. You need to, yeah. But like, like maybe you're not gifted for, for the single life. And like, he doesn't spurn that. He doesn't call those people, you know, losers. He, he says, go get married. So, I mean, and again, that has to be tempered and, and, um, you still have to get married for the right reasons, but like, there is a lot of just pragmatic good, um, In marriage, but we have to, like with singleness, we have to temper it all with its ultimate um, meaning and with God's grace um, through it all. Yeah,
0: can I also add one thing? I I don't think I'd love to hear your perspective on this. I don't even think a lot of the what sometimes can be uh, problematic views uh, on on marriage that the church can have or can display. I don't think all of those even come from a spiritual or from like from the church itself. Uh, I think a lot of it is societally, you know, and and societally we've sort of merged the two. So maybe they've just gotten too convoluted, but marriage has this social value to it. So it's not like they're only Christians getting married, first of all. Um, And it's not just like it's not only Christians getting married. It's not only Christians getting divorced, you know, all of that. So um, if you think about it historically, you know, I'm kind of kind of thinking of like what life was like at different periods, even just in the last in in the in the 20th century. like there's so much from a necessity standpoint of why a man needed a wife, um, and so you needed a, not only to uh, repopulate the earth, which was seen as this value, which is also alienating towards people who maybe can't have kids. But that's a, I, I digress. But um, that seen as like a value is to like yeah. be fruitful and multiply to have someone who's going to build a home. It's typically it's often single income, and so uh, that has a value for the man for the woman. Has value because her career options are so limited, oftentimes, right? And so she's going to need someone to protect her. She's going to need someone. I'm speaking in very traditional language intentionally. She's going to need someone to protect her. Someone who can, uh, who can give her children. Someone who can, um, uh, who can provide for her. Those kinds of things. So it has, and from that has blossomed into, or has turned into. You, you need a partner. It doesn't mean like it doesn't even always mean you need to be faithful to them, like in a non-Christian context, right? Like. Um, I was watching this documentary on the Kennedys and and, and JFK's like extramarital affairs are, are well documented, but yeah. there was this pull for like, if you're going to be president, people need you to be married. Like it has to happen. So his father's like pushing JFK to like get married. Eventually, of course he gets married to Jackie. Um, and obviously that doesn't change really anything about his sexual exploits, but um, it's just understood that that's what you need. And so it has that yeah. It has that value to it. If you're in the hospital, you need someone who's going to make decisions on your behalf, someone who has access to your medical records. It's a safety net in a way that has changed, but also has kind of stayed the same. So I think that it's just like a good thing. Like, go ahead. Now you done soldier wild. Oh, it's now boy. Like it's time to go off and get married. It's time to, it's time to grow up and do it now. Everybody's got to do it. You may not love it, but you got to do it. it. It has that societal value too.
1: Yeah. and And I think like so much that we Talk about in this podcast, and we try to unpack is the where where culture um corrupts or obfuscates the true nature of things, and that's why we always have to come back to um kind of the true image, like the true image of marriage is is Christ in the church, um, but um, we if we're not careful, we can allow a lot of the really pragmatic features that we've just talked about to become dominant. Um, And then as we know, that creates all kinds of um, problems when we allow those to be the primary. Um, Another thing that I think often happens is, and and I, I imagine, I I think this happens a lot, like probably in your context where um, everybody's a potential mate, um, you know, on a college campus, Um, But I I think it also has far ranging effects where we, we don't really know how to see members of the opposite sex. So this kind of brings the two together um, the idea of, of marriage and singleness together. But like we, we frequently, I think people struggle to see members of the opposite sex outside of romantic um, categories, which creates real problems for singleness. And I think this comes back to something you said, you know, have you met somebody yet? Like there's always this expectation of like, have you, you know, have you found a woman yet, Steve? And, um, that's you, you're not treating every human being like a potential mate. Like as Mm -hmm. we're thinking about a healthy vision of singleness, we're talking about what does it mean to be brothers and sisters in Christ? What does it mean to see the Imago Dei and to treasure people as people and to love them well? And the same thing is true in marriage. Like this is a piece that often gets overlooked, but like if I train myself to see other people of the, or to, to, as a man to see women as potential mates, and then now that I'm married, I can't see them as potential mates. I don't know how to talk to mm-hmm. women. I don't know how to interact mm-hmm. with women. I don't know how to value women, mm-hmm. and um, it will affect how I view my own uh, my own spouse because I've just mm-hmm. trained to see that person as uh, as a relationship or as an object or as a um, a person to provide sexual fulfillment or whatever. So we, we really need to do some, I I think there needs to be more systemic work done in terms of just how we see our humanity, um, and our, uh, identity together in Christ to allow us to really be able to just see one another well, um, and i don't know that there's like an answer a way to fix this but i I do think this is an area the church the evangelical subculture at least needs quite a bit of growth in i don't know what what are your thoughts on that
0: i couldn't agree more uh wow i i i I, yes to all of that um i mean seriously i'm I'm like as you're talking i'm like yep no okay i could add that nope you said that too like no it's it's so true and as guys of course we're sharing from Um, from a male's perspective and so i'm sure there 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 are you know there's a um not just like a counter but there's a you know from a woman's perspective might look at it differently and how how maybe they do that to men but from yeah from a man's perspective i do think i i see that often you know you you get to see a lot of relationships beginning and ending of relationships and everywhere in between when you work at a college but like uh um i i do think that 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 sort of you have this value and this value is as my potential wife. And then the moment that you're not that maybe you like somebody else, or maybe you broke my heart or, um, uh, it just didn't work out for whatever reason or, or, <laughs> or somebody else. Now the Lord has told me that somebody else is my wife. And so now I'm going <laughs> to go and pers- pursue them. You know, I think with that comes just like this sort of bouncing around and, um, you are, you know, uh, I remember a, I was in college when I like, uh, when I heard this l- lyric by Lecrae that really would say like changed my life, but like really gave words to how I was feeling about like how I wanted to interact with women in college. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was, when something like, uh, give life, love the wife, like you love the church without seeing how many hearts I can break first. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. um, and I remember feeling that. Cause I'm like, when you're in college, you know, you can easily start feeling yourself. It's, it, first of all, it's not that hard to like, You have a bunch of 18 to 22 year olds as the primary demographic like it's not hard to have you know somebody thinks they like somebody or this person finds this person really attractive that's not uncommon you know but like how you get to know someone and how you and what they are to you you can get to know someone on a deeper level and that might be completely platonic you know you might have a crush on somebody who doesn't reciprocate um that doesn't mean that they necessarily led you on or did anything wrong um that just means might mean they they didn't reciprocate. They don't feel the same way. And so yeah. now do you just like move on? Or do you find ways to be able to like still see their value and and, and respect them, even if y'all are not going to be like lifelong friends, necessarily. But like, I-, I do think that is a major mismark, because that's sort of the pursuit. That's the hunt. I remember somebody said that to me years ago, I forgot, I was with somebody else who was young, and he was like, Oh, 20 something, however old I was like 26, something like that. And He's like, Oh, I remember that stage, you're on the hunt. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah i'm like i guess i guess kind of i hear you what i hear you man like what but, what are we hunting but what are we yeah exactly <laughs> like I, I we all get what you're saying but oh man i don't know man i don't know how i feel about that yeah. so you know and so there is this way in which you, you have this value and if your value is not my wife then you move on but that plays out in at least plays out plays out in at least two interesting ways where it can lead to really, I think, promiscuous and and, and hurt and and harmful, like, Mm. sexual behavior. Um, But also what I've seen in, like, distinctly Christian circles has been sometimes uh, these blurred lines. Blurred lines can happen, of course, in any any relationship context, but, like, specifically in a Christian one where there is so much value on not having sex before marriage. uh, Because of that, that's seen as, like, now some people do, of course. Some Christians do do that. But, like, it's seen as, like, if I wouldn't go that far, then there's almost a, I can almost do, I'm not doing that. So I can almost do anything else, hmm. you know, like, uh, and, and, sex really often means like, so I'm talking like intercourse. So if, as long as I don't go like that far, I'm keeping myself from marriage. I'm not, but I don't really have great physical boundaries. I don't have great emotional boundaries. I still bear my soul to the other person. I still have these late night discussions and, and this, like this sort of intimacy that's building between us, but because we wouldn't have sex, um, we're good, you know, (laughs) and, 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 uh, that, that doesn't work and it could be so harmful and hurt so many people, you know? Um, so I think it, it goes in both ways, but I just couldn't agree. All that is just me co-signing on what you're saying. I, I, I think that's what's happening.
1: Well, we got to wrap it up there. Um, this has been a really great conversation. Uh, if you'd like, you can get a special discount on Steve and I's marriage and singleness, um, Conference which we'll be hosting in the near future. I'm just kidding, but the discount code is Steve and Bob. You get 10% off. And uh, 10% off what? I don't know, <laughs> we gotta figure that out. But it, we really enjoy uh, hearing from you, and uh, we'd love to keep this conversation going. We hope that you will also keep these things uh, kind of in the hopper and, and discussing with those in your lives. These are important topics. Um, and we'd love to see the church continue to grow in how we handle both marriage and singleness well. Anyway, we'd love to hear from you. Um, you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Tesserai Podcast. And uh, otherwise, we'll see you next time. We're also on Instagram now, remember? Oh, yes. Your latte pictures. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a big deal now.
0: All right. And with that, this has been Tesserai.